Earlier this week, Sarah and I received a text from a friend. And in it, she said, guys, you are the people I believe most likely to know this information. And then she proceeds to ask a question. It wasn't about the borough of Swissville. You know, I'm, I'm uh, on council in Swissville. My wife is the executive assistant. It wasn't uh, a, anything to do with the school district, which we're pretty involved in. Uh, it wasn't about one of the sports teams that my kids are on. She asked, is the playground open in the waterfront Chick-fil-A? She's right. We, we would know about that. Um, in fairness, uh, this came from a friend named Jenna, a former student who knew of my love for, for Chick-fil-A. I, I, don't, I think she had graduated by this point in time, uh, but she was still around the church that I was uh, serving at uh, when there was a social media contest that they had nine to ten years ago uh, where my family earned uh, a year's worth of, of Chick-fil-A. Um, in truth, it was really just 52 meal vouchers, which we burned through in like four months, I think. Uh, but case in point, Sarah and I have an infatuation with the chain. Thus why Jenna thought we would be in the know as it pertains to the restaurant, and the answer was no, it's not. It's still storage. I don't know if they'll ever open it again, if you were wondering about the answer to that question. But the truth is, Sarah and I aren't the only ones that have infatuations with whether it be Chick-fil-A or McDonald's or Chipotle, our culture has an unhealthy attachment to food. You know, last year I preached through the seven deadly sins, and one of these sins, the sin of gluttony, deals directly with this disordered relationship with food. When we eat, we get joy from eating, right? There's joy and savoring of tasting, we experience satisfaction at the feeling of being full. The act of eating in and of itself is pleasurable. And this is a good and healthy desire, one that God has provided for our sustenance. If, we, if, if it was not, you know, uh, uh, satisfying, if it was not pleasurable to eat, we would die of starvation. But in an age of instant gratification, our culture often pursues this satisfaction of every human appetite as a virtue. Right? If you feel it, if it feels good, just do it. And so unless we are in a season of dieting, chances are we're going to eat whatever we want, whenever we want to eat it. So in this age, I think is a great time for us to reclaim the biblical practice of fasting. Now, even if we aren't regularly, you know, raising our cholesterol by patronizing the golden arches of McDonald's, we still feel the pressure to eat. We all have seen diagrams, you know, when I was at school, it was things like the food pyramid. I know my kids have this thing called my plate, you know, where it kind of gives a picture of a plate broken to fourths with a cup of milk. And the goal is to help us make wise decisions when it comes to our eating. But implicit in a lot of this communication that we receive is that we are told we need three balanced meals, you know, plus snacks, to survive. Sometimes we're dissuaded from skipping a meal because it could be detrimental to our health or prevent our body from getting the, the right nutrients. And we need regular consumption of water to live, but the human body can actually go without food for several days before starvation actually begins. And so I think fasting is one of those things that we sometimes struggle to connect with in our culture. 
There are some of the spiritual disciplines that we'll study, uh, that we'll look at, like prayer or confession or study. We've heard about. You know, we know what it is to pray. We know what it is to read our Bibles. But fasting might be something new to us. We read about it in the Scriptures, but have trouble connecting the dots of what that means for us. And so this morning, I want us together to look at the biblical practice of fasting and why it's beneficial for our spiritual lives. So what does it mean to fast? What is fasting? I'm going to give you, uh, this comes right from Richard Foster. So we're, we're going through the series on the spiritual disciplines. It comes uh, somewhat loosely through the book Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. This is the, the third. Uh, we did meditation and then prayer uh, and then this is fasting, which is one of the inward disciplines. And we'll finish the inward disciplines next week with study. But Foster defines fasting as abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. That, bold, that, that emphasis is mine, spiritual purposes. Right? Biblical fasting is not just about abstaining from food, but includes a desire to pursue something spiritually in the midst of that. You know, in our society, take kind of boil away the religious jargon around it. If you talk about it, or if you hear someone talk about fasting, it's usually around things like diet or going on a cleanse. In essence, what health benefit does it offer us? I saw an article last week as I was doing some, some research and reading on this that said fasting may help to destroy toxic cells and stimulate stem cell development in lab animals. So, you know, something like fasting, we, we are, again, there's no medical proof, but the, the kind of correlation that is being made is, hey, maybe fasting can actually be healthy for you. That's not fasting, at least not the way that Foster would define it. Just abstaining from food or dieting is for physical purposes. There may be times that certain individuals will go on a hunger strike, refuse to eat. Again, that's not what the Bible has in mind when it talks about fasting. That's abstaining from food for political power, political purposes. Right? The Bible teaches fasting as this connection to the spiritual, desiring to cultivate an, an interior relationship with God or communicate with God in some way. Right? The, 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 the discipline of fasting is an inward discipline, meaning it's meant to cultivate this relationship, this intimacy with God and the person committing to the fast. Now, when you read through the Bible about fasting, usually what is in mind is what is considered a full fast, that you are abstaining from all food, both solid and liquid, but not from water. Water, of course, is okay to continue to drink. For example, Luke 4, we're told about the temptation of Jesus. Before the enemy ever appeared before him, he went through a season of fasting where he didn't consume food for 40 days. Now, just as an aside, I want to state that a 40-day fast falls under that umbrella of the miraculous. Like, I wouldn't encourage you to just kind of jump right into that without some sort of divine invitation to that. But at the end of the fast, this is in Matthew and Luke and Mark, when we're, it's described that Jesus fasted for th 40 days, the biblical authors go out of their way to remind us of the humanity of Jesus that he was hungry. You might think, well, duh, he was hungry. But again, in, in an age where it's like, Jesus is fully God, fully man. We might think, oh, he's God, he doesn't need to eat. But he was fully human, right? So he was hungry. We also see partial fasts in the scriptures. Daniel, for example, chapter 10, verse 3, Daniel's in the season of mourning, and it says, the Bible says that he abstained from meat. 
He abstained from wine. He abstained from rich foods with the purpose of seeking God in prayer. There was an early church document called the Didache. Didache in Greek just means teaching. And this was kind of like a manual for the early church. It described best practices, things like ethics, the sacraments, how to organize church. And the Didache was written in the late first century. It was written when some of the disciples may have still been alive. And that document proposed for Christians two fast days a week that Christians should fast on Wednesdays and fast on Fridays. John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist denomination, took this practice so seriously that he actually refused to ordain anyone into the Methodist church who did not fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. Now, again, this, I feel like we are leaps and bounds away from, from that. I don't fast twice a week. I don't usually fast once a week. I'm lucky if I fast once a year at times. You could argue that Wesley was being a little legalistic. You know, while the Bible often describes fasting, it never prescribes it. There's no command in Scripture that Christians must fast regularly or weekly. Like most of these disciplines, we live under grace. There's freedom to them. You're not obligated to practice them. But for followers of Christ, freedom provides for us an opportunity. While the discipline of fasting is not required, it can be a really valuable process, a valuable practice to help us foster greater intimacy with God. We desire, I think I, th- I, think I could speak for all of us, that we desire to know God more fully. And fasting is one of those practices that can help us on that journey. So let's open our Bibles And let's look at what Jesus has to say about the topic. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 6, we're just going to look at a few verses, I think three of them, where Jesus addresses the practice. Matthew chapter 6. This passage comes in the midst of a series of teaching of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. It follows right after his teaching of the, the Lord's Prayer. So if you want to follow along with me as I read. It says, Matthew 6. 16 to 18. Jesus said, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, the opening line should communicate, I think, to us the place of fasting. Jesus didn't say, if you fast. He didn't say, you must fast. But he said, when you fast. So in the statement that Jesus makes to the crowd around him, he is presuming that they are fasting. And think about the context of where he is sharing this part of teaching, right? It's right on the heels of teaching about giving, about prayer, things that we would expect Christians to regularly practice. But still, there's no command. There's no command requiring fasting as a regular part of our lives. 
But in the same way that we would all say prayer is essential to our spiritual lives, fasting is a natural way for us to develop that greater intimacy with the Father, to see transformation in us. Jesus says that when we should fast, we should not look gloomy. In other words, right, this passage is about our motive for fasting, right? It's, it's not meant to be a show. It's not meant to be a way to control God. It fosters, as I said already, groups it with the inward disciplines. It's a private matter between the individual and God. Now, there are times, you can point to times in Scripture where there were corporate fasts, right? Leviticus 23, 27 describes a national fast that all the Israelites were supposed to participate in in preparation for the Day of Atonement, probably the, the highest holy day that they had. Ezra 8, 21 to 23, Ezra is commanding a fast in order for the nation to join in solidarity towards a particular cause. So there are times where you see these corporate fasts, but typically it was a private matter. Jesus in this passage we just looked at shows criticism for the way that his contemporaries fasted because it had become a method of performance. It was a badge of honor to show just how holy the Pharisees were. As I mentioned before, it was was assumed in Jesus' day that people would fast twice a week. According to Foster, he says, quote, a frequent practice of the Pharisees was to fast on Mondays and Thursdays because those were market days. And so there would be bigger audiences to see and admire their piety. For them, fasting was not ultimately about deepening their relationship with God, but it was just to look the part of the religious leader. So first and foremost, fasting is meant to be centered on God, not what others think. Secondly, after fasting in the wilderness, we see Jesus tempted by the devil. Right? He was hungry, as I said, and the devil says, hey, you know what? I know you're hungry. You're the son of God. You can do just about anything. How about you take this stone, make it into a nice, luscious loaf of bread? Right? That'll satisfy your hunger. And what does Jesus say in response? He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus is saying in this moment, like, yeah, I'm acknowledging, I, I'm, I'm hungry, the Bible says so, but it's not food, especially because he's, he's in one of these miraculous fasts, it's not food that is sustaining him in that moment, it is God. The principle is that fasting from food means feasting on God. Take John chapter 4, 32 to 34, Jesus uh, meets with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. The disciples return to him, and they, they want him to eat. Hey, Jesus, here's, some, here's, here's lunch. We brought lunch for you. And he says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Did someone else bring something we don't know about? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus, in the absence of consuming food, says that he is satisfied by doing the will of God. In the passage from the Sermon on the Mount and here, Jesus is saying, like, don't act miserable when your stomach is rumbling, because it'll rumble when you fast, but don't act miserable because you're not actually miserable. You are feasting on God in that moment. So we might ask ourselves, if fasting is not a command, right, if there's nowhere in Scripture that says you have to do this, what, what motivation do we have to fast? 
right? What are the spiritual benefits? To quote Richard Foster again, he says, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. Let me say that again, because I think he's He's absolutely right in this. More than any of the other disciplines, fasting reveals the things that control us. We use food to cover so much of what is going on in our emotional and spiritual states. And we acknowledge this as a culture. If you get dumped by your significant other, the stereotype is what? You go right to the carton of ice cream in the freezer. How many of us struggle or eat when we are struggling emotionally? How many of us eat when we're bored? That is me, for sure. You don't have to raise your hands, right? It's like there's nothing else stimulating me in that moment, and so I have this craving to just like satisfy a need, just to do something, and so I eat. I'm not actually hungry. I just want something to do. In fact, I think it was two nights ago. I was like, I think I'm going to have a bowl of cereal. And Sarah was like, are you actually hungry or are you just bored? And I was like, I'm bored. So I didn't have a bowl of cereal, right? We even have a word that is accepted in our society that justifies the utilization of food to mask an emotional state. We call it being hangry. In fact, when I was typing this up, hangry doesn't have the red underline under it. So, you know, word thinks that word is spelled correctly. So I guess it's been, you know, adopted into our our, uh, um, lexicon, our language, right? Snickers brilliantly capitalized on this, right? If you're not feeling like yourself, if you're kind of like this grumpy Steve Buscemi, you know, eat their candy bar and you'll be back to your normal self. We use food to mask what's going on deeper in us. Foster argues that if we're fasting and we're angry and we're lashing out at people, we're not actually hangry. He didn't have that word back in 1978 when he wrote. But it's we're angry because of our hunger, he says, that we need to realize that we're angry because we actually have the spirit of anger inside of us. And so when we temporarily cut out food, it removes that facade that we put up that masks all of those things that are going on under the surface. Right? Those places that where we are angry or we're sad or we are bored begin to be unveiled and we're forced to confront them. Fasting reveals the broken parts of our lives so that we can seek healing in Christ. We don't have to fast, but if we don't fast, we can continue to go down this path of ignorance not realizing that there's actually a problem below the surface. So if you fast and something like anger rises to the surface, don't just blame it on because, you know, I haven't eaten in a while. But use it as a recognition to springboard, right, to invite Jesus to come in to say, Jesus, I'm angry right now. I don't feel like I can control it. I need you to change my heart, to renovate it so that I'm not an angry person. Now, this might be as good a place as any, again, to take a little bit of a tangent to discuss there is a form of fasting that we might have some familiarity with that's continued in our religious spheres, right? The discipline of fasts during Lent. Now, this is more typical in in a Catholic settings, but usually this is a partial fast. Things like no eating meat on Fridays, or you might 
it might involve abstaining from certain substances like candy or coffee. And I know many who actually step away from social media during this season. Now, these types of fasts can be helpful. Again, I don't think this is what the Bible teaches when it talks about fasting. But these, these fasts, these partial fasts are helpful because they can help us identify some of what's controlling us. You know, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 6.12, he says, in light of the gospel, right, like, I, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful, right? I can do anything, but I'm not going to be dominated, and I'm not going to be controlled by anything. And so if we are addicted to our screens or we're addicted to that cup of coffee, you know, a Lenten fast can help us to break out of that. But Lent, I would say, is more about creating and breaking habits, whereas the discipline of fasting that Richard Foster talks about is more about the cultivation of the heart. It's not just about the ex- excuse me, external habits, but about cultivating our heart. And so in this series, I'm trying to be as practical as I can. Right? For many of us, the, these disciplines are new, and, and we might not have any idea where to begin or what this practice looks like in our lives. I know I've read for years, before I read Foster's books, I, I, I would read about fasting in the Old Testament, and it never connected me, to me as like something that I should do. Right? They fasted, maybe I should do this too. Right, so f- to finish our time, I want to use the the rest of it to to just try to be concrete, to give you a picture of what might fasting look like in your life. And this, of course, is not the only way to engage with the discipline, but hopefully can give you a window because I want to encourage you to find a way to make this a more regular practice in your life than what I'm assuming it already is. Maybe you're already fasting twice a week, and then you should be up here preaching, not me, because you've got experience that I don't. So I'll say this to start, because I want to make this accessible for us. As with any of these disciplines, don't burn yourself out by trying to do too much too quickly, right? You start slow. You got to walk before you can run. So begin fasting by just skipping a meal. Pick one meal and don't eat during it. And and I'm going to, you know, for what it's worth, you don't have to, no obligation, as I said, but I'm going to provide an opportunity, a concrete opportunity for this right away, uh, because I'm, I'm going to fast for lunch on Friday, this Friday, February 3rd. And so if you're not doing anything, well, if, even if you are doing something, you, you probably eat lunch anyway. I want to invite you, right? Test the waters. Join me in this fast. This is something that we can do together in solidarity, you know, feel free. You're not going to bother me if you want to pull out your phones right now and be like, all right, set a reminder, fast 12 to 12.30 p.m. I, I had to do that because chances are between now and Friday, I'm going to like forget that I committed to doing this. So it's in my calendar, so I don't forget. But I, I want to encourage you, again, invite you, no pressure, but I want to invite you to join me in that fast. But fasting isn't just about skipping meals. So if you choose to fast and don't eat, use that time and prayer and meditation that you normally would have been eating. Think about, notice what God might be trying to teach you through your body, through your emotions. See if the absence of food or even the, the, the deviation from your normal schedule brings up certain feelings, certain vices that you can channel back to God. From there, I would say the next step would be to try to build to a 24-hour fast. And basically here, you would skip two meals. You would eat lunch one day, 
skip dinner and breakfast and eat lunch the next day, or dinner to dinner or breakfast to breakfast. I kind of, personally, I'm a fan of the lunch to lunch because, you know, by um, the next morning, uh, you're a little, feel a little miserable. And so it's like a, a lot of that worst part you're sleeping through, which is nice. Um, you know, as you're learning, because your, your body's going to need to regulate this, is this if this is something that you practice with any type of uh, um, repetition or frequency. You know, maybe use fruit juices to begin. Just avoid, like, solid foods. Um, but the goal would be to build to a water-only 24-hour fast. That's, that's what the Bible often would teach. A lot of the, the early church practiced as well. You know, when Sarah and I were dating, this was actually something that we did monthly. Um, Sarah gifted me for my birthday many, many years ago this book by Richard Foster. She was reading it in her uh, college fellowship and, um, you know, passed it on to me. And as we read it, I was like, let's start fasting. So we would fast once a month as an opportunity together. We were long-distance relationship pretty much the entire time of our dating relationship and engagement. Um, But we would, once a month, we would fast for 24 hours, and it was an opportunity for us to hit the reset button on our lives and to invite God to work on our relationship with one another and to work on ourselves. Preparing the sermon was a little convicting because, unfortunately, years ago, that practice fell by the wayside. I don't even... I don't even know if we've been doing it since we've been married, which has been 18 years, right? The busyness of life kind of can derail those types of things. And so preparing for this message reminded me, like, man, this is really something that at least monthly I need to put back in my, my schedule. Because I remember it being a really rewarding time uh, when Sarah and I did this. And so if you fast for 24 hours, just like skipping a meal, use that time that you would be eating for prayer and meditation. Again, the goal is to check the inner attitudes and conditions of your heart. And, you know, like the words we saw from Jesus earlier in Matthew 6, like don't draw attention to it. The, the goal of this fast is not for you to show people, you know, how holy you are, right? And hopefully nobody cares how holy you are. But it's, um, it's, it's not about putting on a show, but ab- about cultivating that relationship with God. Remember, you're not miserable you're feasting on God, you've got to keep telling yourselves that because if you fast for 24 hours, I can pretty much guarantee you you're going to be hungry. You're going to feel those hunger pangs in your stomach, and it's, it's not going to be pleasant. I think my favorite part in uh, Foster's book is where he compares our stomach to a spoiled child. And, and he's absolutely right. Our stomach is used to getting what it wants. You are not starving. You might feel like you're starving, but you are not starving in that moment. Your, your stomach is just throwing a temper tantrum because it's not filled to the brim. Remember, you are the master of your stomach, not its slave. I found that one of the things that is helpful when you're feeling hungry is that those hunger pangs can even be a gift because they can be a reminder to go to God in prayer. Right? And just, you know, do a 30-second prayer. Lord, I'm feeling hungry right now, but I want to use this as a reminder to, to tune in with you. What are you showing me? What are you teaching me in this time? As you fast, especially, again, for something that's extended like 24 hours, you might have a number of other physiological responses to the fast. You might get headaches, especially if you are a regular consumer of caffeine, drinks like coffee, tea, or sodas. So those headaches are just really your body going through withdrawal of not receiving its, you know, normally, you know, allocated supply of of caffeine. You're probably going to feel cold, your, your metabolism is going to drop, and your body is not going to produce as much energy as it normally does. And 
Don't let these things derail you. You know, if you get cold, maybe, maybe turn up the, the thermostat a couple degrees in your house. You know, the extra couple bucks will probably be worth it for the spiritual benefit you'll get. You know, if you plan to fast for 24 hours, like, don't try to stock up. Don't be like, I'm going to eat a whole lot right now so that it, like, carries me through those 24 hours. That's actually going to make things worse, I can guarantee you, because, you know, if you eat a really large meal right beforehand, what it does is, like, stretches out, because your your stomach is very dynamic. It's going to stretch out your stomach, and so then when that empties out, it's going to make those hunger pangs feel all the worse as your stomach kind of continues to contract in the midst of that. Um, so don't, don't try to eat more. It's going to make those feelings more acute and painful. You know, when you're ready to, to break the fast, uh, eat foods that are high in, like, fiber, fruits and vegetables. Like, it's a bad idea to go and eat a Big Mac. Just putting that out there. I mean, maybe that's common sense. Maybe not. But, you know, at times we might be, feel ravenous after and be like, oh, I, I, you know, crave this, like, sumptuous food like a Big Mac. But that's, like, that's going to disagree with you. You know, if your body is used to not eating for the past 24 hours, the fat, the oils are not going to be, um, agree with you. Or, or don't try to eat too much. You're going you're gonna to fill up a lot quicker because your stomach has reduced in size over those 24 hours. You know, fasting is not for everyone. There are definite reasons that you shouldn't fast. For example, folks who have diabetes or if you're pregnant or have heart conditions, right? Totally legitimate reasons not to fast. And if you have any doubt, I know, you know, some people are hypoglycemic, which is like, I think, the opposite of diabetes, right? There might be physiological reasons that you shouldn't fast, and if you have any questions, like, I'm not a doctor, talk to a doctor. They they can help you understand what your body can handle in that. Seek that medical advice. I want to close with this. Hopefully those are some kind of practical ways to think about fasting. And if you want to talk about this, if you tried it, you know, you fast with me on, on Friday for lunch, um, again, I'm going to try to put a reg- more regular fasting of maybe a monthly fast for myself, and I'll invite others if you want to join with me in that. We can always talk if you want to go deeper a, a little bit about that. But I'm going to close with this. In this chapter, Foster quotes from a journal of a person who fasted 24 hours once a week for two years. So he fasted one day a week for two years. And in it, he states that he eventually began to understand why there was this recommend- recommendation for a weekly fast over a longevity of two years. Because as he fasted, the focus changed. Listen to some of his journal entries and note the progression that you see. He said, I felt it a great accomplishment to go a whole day without food. Congratulated myself on the face that I found it so easy. We know this about a lot of things. When something is novel and new, it might be a little easier than it is whenever we're in, in that rhythm. Next, he says, began to see that the above was hardly the goal of fasting, was helped in this by beginning to feel hunger. A time later, began to relate to the food fast in other areas of my life where I was more compulsive. I found I did not have to have a seat on the bus to be content or to be cool in the summer and warm when it was cold. Things that have nothing to do with food, but saw contentment, a growth in contentment in other areas of life. Later, reflected more on Christ's suffering and the suffering of those who are hungry and have hungry babies. And after the six months, he says, six months after beginning the fast discipline, I began to see why a two-year period has been suggested. The experience changes along the ways. Hunger on fast days became acute and the temptation to eat stronger 
For the first time, I was using the day to find God's will for my life. I began to think about what it meant to surrender one's life. So as we see in this, at the beginning, he's very self-congratulatory. Look what I did. But the longer that he continued with it, he noticed that he started to transform his heart, his spirit, his soul, transformed. He was more content. He was more surrendered, more reliant on God. Something that I'm willing to bet all of us would benefit from. Fasting is a very neglected practice in the modern American church. And I just want to consider, I just want to invite us to consider what it might mean for us to reclaim it. What spiritual benefits might we receive if we put in this regular rhythm of fasting in our lives? Again, it was something early, centuries ago, Christians had been, had been practicing it regularly. What might Christians in the 21st century learn about God, learn about ourselves, if we were to um, have that greater reliance upon God that that journal entry spoke about? So as we think about fasting, I want us to consider it, contemplate it this week. Here are some reflection questions to guide us. Going back to this idea of food. What emotion do you often find yourself covering with food? Is it grief, boredom, anxiety, anger, fear? Maybe not, nothing on those. But try to identify, right? Connect those dots between that craving to eat and is it I'm actually hungry or I'm feeling something I don't like feeling right now and I want to mask it with food. Second is this. What is keeping you from trying a 24-hour fast? How can you overcome that obstacle? I think that's like the ideal. Foster talks in his book about doing like three to seven day fasts. I'm not there. Like that's beyond me. I mean, th- there are some... That, that's some pretty stark commitment because after about day three, um, that is when like starvation does begin to sit in, that your body starts to eat itself. And there's all kinds of, again, I would consult a doctor before you do any of that. I've never attempted anything quite like that. Um, but again, focusing on the 24-hour fast, like what might be, what roadblocks might be keeping us from giving it a try? And lastly, will you commit to fasting on lunch on Friday, February 3rd? And you don't have to tell me that you're going to do it. Um, keep that between you and God. But I want to just invite you to, to do this as like that starting point, that first step in, a, in the direction of what it might mean to practice uh, this discipline. So let's, uh, let me pray, and we'll close with a song, and then get some coffee. Lord, I pray that you would be with us as we consider this, that as we are potentially dealing with a discipline that is outside of our normal realm of experience, or that we would feel empowered, we would feel encouraged by you to take this step. Take it as a step of faith, God, that we desire to meet with you and that we would use fasting as an opportunity to commune more deeply with you, to better understand who we are, and the way that you want to see transformation in our lives. God, may this be a discipline that we can find, whether it be weekly, monthly, annually, that we can find ways to put in practice so that we can uh, grow in our intimacy with you and our reliance upon you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.